0: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever
1: you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
2: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com.
3: Good afternoon and welcome to one hour at a time recovery begins with education and host mary woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process now here's your host mary woods
4: welcome everyone to one hour at a time and this is your guest host john mcandrew i'm sure you're used to me subbing uh... by this time and again i want to thank everybody for tuning in and uh... And supporting the program. Today our guest's name is Tim White and, uh, Tim is a singer who has found, you know, found faith at the bottom of the bottle. He, Tim and his ministry devote their efforts to leading people to experience the healing power of God in their lives. He has a new inspirational country CD called The Long Road Home. And also we're going to talk about his first book today. At the End of the Road, One Man's Journey from Chaos to Clarity, and um, it provides some insight into his own history, his own story of substance use and recovery. Um, Both the CD uh, and the book can help those struggling on their path from chaos to clarity, and we're also going to talk a little bit today, Tim, about, uh, you're going to give some guidance to making it through the holidays sober clean and abstinent so we'll talk about that later but first of all welcome to the show tim
1: well thank you john thank you for having me
4: um it says in your bio that you're a philanthropist and a businessman and i left that out um because i wanted to get to the singer part i'm so i'm always interested about singers and music and were you singing before you wrote the book uh or did you write the book and then start singing? How did that, what's the order what, what, of those two efforts?
1: That's, that's actually a good question. How, how that really came about is I've, I've sang for forever, really. I, I mean, I was singing in my using days, but I actually was singing at a men's conference uh, here in Jacksonville and a fellow there heard me singing and we got together afterward and he, he wanted me to go up to Nashville and meet with his producer in Nashville. -hmm. And sing for him. So uh, I did that. We flew up there. I sang a couple of songs and we ended up doing a record deal. And, uh, and when that happened, when we started talking about the songs, well, you know, I started sharing some of my story with him and uh, we ended up writing most of the songs are are written around my, my life and my recovery. And, uh, as we were getting through the process of that process of that, which for years I had been, approach about a book, about writing a book when I tell my story and I was always like, Oh man, there's no way I'd ever do that. I'm never gonna come out and tell people because of course I didn't want people to know. And sure. um but you know what? It really started weighing on my heart and um I sit down and I talk to my wife about it and I realized, you know when it became real clear to me that I said, God has blessed me so much in my life and gave gave me so much that how could I not give back if I have an opportunity to and it really became real clear to me that i was just going to have to step out of my comfort zone and and do this thing um because i knew that from my story that uh, that it could really touch a lot of lives and let other people know that if they're in a similar situation like i've been that there's hope for them. no matter where you've been or what you've done that uh you know there, there there's all you know it's never too late uh
4: Tim, I want to tell the listeners they can go to your website and it's twhiteministries.com dot com. Yes, Tim, Tim White Ministries. It's T I M White. Yeah, T I M Tim White Ministries. Yep. Yeah. Okay, and uh, you know I'm sure they can hear your music there. And um, I, your, your story is very powerful. And before we we kind of get into that. Um, I want the folks to know that you have a CD and a book and maybe go to your website to see all the things that you've been through. When when I started to read your book, uh, you know, One Man's Journey, and I we've had several guests on here that are in recovery, and there seems to be a really common thread with all the more powerful stories, uh, which yours is, is that it's your story. And I think people in recovery from mental illness, substance use, alcohol, uh, telling their story seems to be a very, very healing thing to do. And have you found that to be true for yourself, to tell your story?
1: I'll tell you something. Like you and I were talking a little earlier, how difficult it was for me to actually come out. I, now, first of all, let me say I've been clean and sober for over 20 years. February 18th of 1993 is when I got clean. So I've got a long history of 20 years of rebuilding a new life. I have a business and a family and I've, you know, I'm a member of a number of organizations in town and I've really turned my life around. So when it was brought up to do this, I was real scared about, oh no, you could, I've always in the back of my mind always knew well, if people only really knew, you know, I'd be in certain situations at church because I sing a lot at churches. So and I'd be and I always kind of felt if people only knew who I really was that they wouldn't they wouldn't accept me. I think I always carried that in the back of my mind. But when we did the book, and the first time I knew before it came out that uh, I'm a deacon at a church here in Jacksonville, and I knew that I would have to go before our congregation that we've been going to for many years and tell them first before it came out. And I tell you something: we have about a thousand members at our church, and I, st- I mean, old women, you know, cops, judges, all walks of life go to this mm-hmm. church, and. And we set it up and I got before the congregation and you could hear it a pen drop and I said, I've got something I've got to tell you guys. And I sit there and I told him it was very difficult, man. I mean, I, I mean, it was very difficult for me to, to, you know, I wasn't trying to shock him. So I didn't tell him a bunch of horror stories, but I just told him the story of myself and where I had come from. And you know what? When I got done, there wasn't a dry eye in the church, including me. And, um, but it was the most freeing. Thing I think I have ever experienced. I felt like I didn't even realize I had been carrying such a burden on my shoulders. But because because when I was done, they weren't all walk trying to get away from me. I mean, most people were. I was amazed at how many people came up to me and was saying either they had a similar situation or they their brother, their sister, their aunt. You know what I mean? There was you don't realize that this type this thing affects so many walks of life. Most everyone you know has someone in their network of family friends that was affected by this. So it was really, I I was amazed by not only how it affected me, but how it affected the other people around me in a positive way. Mm -hmm.
4: So you really found freedom in that, and I've heard others share that story. So your the book starts, Tim. Chapter one, part one, is February 1993. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about (laughs) that time in your life?
1: Uh, well, you know, there's actually, being you said February 1993, there's actually a really, really good song that a, a musical friend of mine wrote for our CD called February Night. All right. He did a great, you know, I actually sing that out quite a bit, and he actually did a wonderful job on writing my story in that song, February Night. But I'll tell you what, John, I I was back in the Duval County Jail, and I, I Pretty much had woke up in there, and I've been to jail, I don't even know how many times over the years, back during my using time, probably 30, 40 times. And um, I'm back in jail again, and I believe I got to a point, and I believe all of us have to get to this point, I couldn't stand to take another breath. I had lived this way and fought this way of life in in my using and trying to change and trying to change myself to where nothing worked, to where I had... The last couple of years of my youth and I had given up. I had given up. I mean, I just—I was a full-blown drug addict. I was homeless. I wasn't even trying to stop anymore. I just figured that I was going to die this way. And I actually went before a judge and uh, a judge that knew me. Uh, and her really more than anything—it tells the story in the book. Uh, this is where God, I believe, started working in my life and her to let me go through the treatment again rather than going back and doing time in jail. And she court ordered me back into a treatment center in Jacksonville called Gateway Community Services. And this, this was my third inpatient trip there. And I did not believe it was going to work for me. I just figured I'd go do my time there and I'd get out and it, and it would, uh, I'd go back to being who I had been. But you know what? Something happened. Um, when I went in that time and I think one of the, one of the things was, is I was broke. You know, I mean, I was, I was broke and I had hit that point of desperation in my life to where. I couldn't go forward, and I couldn't go backwards, and, um, yep. you know, I got on my knees in, in the treatment center, and I cried out to God to help me, you know, and uh, one day at a time, things things started to get to, to get brighter for me. You know, and it's, it's interesting in the book,
4: I, I think this chapter is interesting, because you mentioned you were trying to con her, you know. In hindsight, Judge Walker had a pretty good heart, didn't she? And I think she, she saw was, uh, what was yeah. going on, huh? <laughs>
1: You know what was fantastic? You're right. Because that day she didn't realize I had pulled this flim flam on her. And, but you know, I saw her maybe 10 years later after she had retired. I saw her in a restaurant and I had, she's gone now. She's passed away, but I had an opportunity gives me chills sitting there saying this, but I had a opportunity to go up and hug that lady and thank her for what she did to me and let her know that, that she saved my life by doing that, by giving me that opportunity. And man, her, You know, she did. She was a wonderful lady who always just wanted to try and help, and I just wanted her to let her know that this particular situation that it worked.
4: Uh huh. Wow, that was it's uh, really a blessing to have the opportunity to do that, isn't it? You know.
1: um, Yes. Yes.
4: I want you to talk about and for the remainder of this segment, maybe which isn't too long, but I think it's going to lead to a lot about why your ministry is so important to you. From what I'm. Gathering. Um you talk about your dad in, in the chapter Enter Timothy going to the bars, you know, and being that little kid, getting the candy and all the stuff and hanging around with those people and uh it's really uh a big part of the hole in your soul, isn't it, this story about your
1: dad? It is. It is, and you know, and and I, I my dad's gone also. My dad's passed, he's been gone for a number of years now and One of the things I had to come to terms with, my dad was my dad was an alcoholic and a drug addict when I was born. He was actually in a hospital in Germany um, trying to kick heroin when when I was born, and my dad never got clean. Um, And when I was coming up as a little boy, I was exposed to a lot of the lifestyle of an alcoholic and a drug addict. And he wasn't Mm -hmm. a a terrible person or anything like this. He was very sick, but coming up in that atmosphere, and then at the age of fourteen, my dad and I started. Um, getting high together, um, smoking marijuana and drinking. And, uh, you know, I think that being exposed to that environment, a lot of people say that, that, that doesn't necessarily, it might not affect you, but I'll tell you for me, um, for me, it, it affected me and at the age of 15, at the age of 15, he, um, you know, he rented me a place and, uh, bought me some groceries and told me I was grown and said, you're on your own and and he walked out and he left and I mean he would come back and, and visit me but yeah so it, it made it very difficult
4: and you watched your father up close uh struggle with his addiction uh, some pretty powerful images in the book um, you know tell us about that because I don't know I, you know that's the real stuff
1: you know one of the things that always really not, and burned in my brain when I was a little boy and you know, I think all small boys uh, or small children really put mm-hmm. their parents on a pedestal. My dad was gone a lot. He was a merchant marine, and I remember him coming home, and I'd be so excited. I mean, I'm five, six years old, maybe be so excited. He would come up the stairs, and he'd be smiling, and man, I can picture him picking me up and hugging me, and I was the happiest kid in the world. My daddy was Superman. He was the greatest thing, and then you know, and I, the first time I ever saw him OD is when I was about six years old. I'd come in the house and he had OD'd and, um, he's in the chair and he's convulsing and and, 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 you know, I think he's dying and I don't know what's going on. And my grandmother, um, came in there and, and, and she says, no, and I guess she just knew it was maybe I might as well say something. And she said, no, Timothy, she goes, that's the dope That's your daddy's on the dope. And I, she said, uh, and I'll never forget that. And I think that scarred me from from that point forward. You know, I never, never uh, forgot that I- image in my head of my dad. And I guess I, he, he was, like a lot of addicts like myself, he was good at covering it up. If you didn't know um, he was as sick as he was, you would have never known it. He could dress up, so he was a very handsome man, so he could dress up in a suit and a tie, and you would have never pictured uh, in a thousand years that he was as sick as he actually was. We're talking
4: with Tim White about his book at the end of the road, and when we come back. Uh, Tim will kind of pick up this, uh, you know, the journey that you're on, and uh, talk a little more about your dad and your recovery and all the other things that you're doing. We'll be right back.
5: Common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's Westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders.
1: Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter. And migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: Your life, your health, your network.
4: welcome back we've been talking with tim white uh about his book at the end of the road one man's journey from chaos to clarity and tim is a a singer and a songwriter and a, a businessman and a christian singer and he's been he told us in the first segment how he was a little reluctant to really come out with his story and he got up in front of his church and told everyone who he really was and um uh, obviously he's we're grateful that you're doing that today with us, Tim. And remind folks it's timwhiteministries.com because we want them to be able to go there and listen to or get your music as well. And when we left off, we were we were talking about Dad, and there's you know there's always important people in everyone's stories, and I think Judge White was important for you in your story, and obviously your father. And you talk about Julie in the book, who's obviously a very important person, and I won't tell them anymore. I'll kind of let you take it from there.
1: You know, we, we met when we were young, um, very young. I think I was 16, she was 15 or 17 and 16. And, um, she was the, my, my first love. I guess she would say she was my first love. And, and by then, obviously, I was already living on my own, and, and she ended up moving in with me, which her, Family was very upset about, which I now I, I really can see. I didn't see it back then. And you know, um, I didn't know how, it, you know, and I want to say this real quick. I actually talked to her yesterday, the first time in, in a very long time, just a weird coincidence. I was at a family member's house of hers and she called and we talked on the phone. And you know that I had an opportunity. This is yesterday I'm talking about now. I had an opportunity to talk to her. And really, as best I could, tell her how sorry I was for the things that happened during the time we were together. I had an opportunity to make a little bit of amends to her on the phone. And I really, it really has burdened my heart for a long time for the the things that, you know, happened during that time that we were together. um, Because I ruined, you know, we both ruined it, but we ruined an opportunity to be together. Because I had no idea how to function or how to love another human being or how to treat a person. I was so I think the, the early signs of my addiction of the, the self-centeredness, the nothing, focus on nothing but what I wanted. And, but i tell you what, it felt really good yesterday. Um, and she's really sick now. She's really got some bad personal problems going on in her life, not physically ill, but due to addictions in her own life that have carried on all these years. And it burdens my heart that, uh, that things worked out the way they did for her. But I'll tell you for me, as a recovering person to have that opportunity, man, that's a really healing thing to be sincere and say, you know, I'm very, I'm really sorry for the things that happened.
4: Mm-hmm. And you say in the book, Tim, you know, the first time I laid eyes on Julie, I fell for her and I fell hard, you know, and you said you were tongue tied and the title of the chapter is love and loss. And I think it's really a common piece from, people that share their stories. Uh, my God, what what people give up for the addiction is pretty mind boggling, isn't it?
1: In in my experience with my own life and now after being you know, these past twenty years you have to understand too now I've full time been involved in recovery, in the twelve step program, in the treatment centers and jails and sponsoring other people. So I and, you know, being a member of the home group myself and being really involved in re- re- the recovery process i uh, have seen a tremendous amount of heartache and loss and death and um mm. it's 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 heartbreaking and mind-boggling um to see how powerful i don't even think i saw it myself when i was actually using how powerful addiction was until i got clean
4: yeah
1: you know i mean in your own life sometimes you can't see it but if you get away from it and look back, and you see it in other people's lives, like I've experienced now, um, it, it is a various nothing. I try and talk to young people about this a lot. It's nothing to play with. You know, it's not something that you can go out and say. You know, I'm different. It won't happen to me, yeah. um, because you're not different, and it will happen to you.
4: You talk in a book, um, obviously alcohol. You got some pictures in the back and. And, uh, you know, your father's alcoholism in the bar. not you know, to a lot of people, that looks innocent enough. You know, we know that it's not, but, um, you found cocaine and you kind of, you kind of say something like, contrary to Eric Clapton's song, uh, cocaine is a lie. And, uh, so you had some experience with it, didn't you?
1: Yeah. You know, the first time I experienced that was the day I got out of jail. I was 19 years old. It was my first long term well it wasn't long term uh, I think I did four or five months in jail and um and and uh she introduced me to that uh, for the first time and she actually mentioned that yesterday when we were talking on the phone that she didn't know that, that that was the first time that I had been introduced to that but it it allowed me, you know, that's why it's so powerful because it does take you to a superior euphoric place to where you feel you can do anything and you're everybody you can it's um that's why it's so dangerous. If it wasn't, if it wasn't powerful like that, nobody would keep doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's one of them things you don't, you, it, for people who haven't tried it, um, take the word from people like me who has stole half of their life from them. Um, don't, don't give it the opportunity to get in your life and, and steal your future from you because it will.
4: Tim, you're one of the guys that we hear from that, uh, shouldn't be here. Uh, and your stories in and out of jails and and you recovery really for you is just sort of a place to rest before you keeled over until you finally, finally hit the bottom and and your stories of jails and uh it's real powerful in the book, but there's a funny one in here. If there's any humor in all this, it kind of caught my attention Uh you were on another binge, and uh you, you tell the story of the evening before um, getting into trouble and getting up in the morning and just walking through a neighborhood and into another house like it's just natural to you to go in and rob people and you You rob a little box and there's some cash in there and you rip a check out of the checkbook. Tell us about what you found
1: you know that that um <laughs> it's it's a it's it almost it, unless it wouldn't have happened to me, I wouldn't have believed it, um yeah. like you said, I had been out on a binge with a girl the night before, and this is in North carolina, and um I had and so this is you know you gotta realize this is still hard for me to even talk about, even though it's yeah. in the book it's still because I'm not this way anymore. I'm a totally different person, but that is the way things were, and um I went and was going to commit a burglary. And, um, I had had this girl to drop me off and I went into this yard and the guy come out and I had to take off running. Well, when I did, I didn't know where I was at and I was lost in the middle of the night. So I ended up going to a, saw a schoolyard with some school buses and I got inside of a school bus cause it was freezing outside. I was barefooted with just a t-shirt on and this is in North Carolina in December. And I stayed in the, end up falling asleep in the school bus, but when I got out, I started walking. I didn't know where I was going and I was real mad because I'm lost. I have no money. No, no, she's gone. I don't know where she's gone to. And I look over and just like this house is there, right? In my mind, I'm sitting there. There's houses everywhere, but this particular house, there's no cars in the driveway. I go in there. I figure I'll get some money to try and get back to where I was staying. I break into this place. Like you said, and there was a box in there and I open it up and it's full of ones. And I had been in recoveries, but it didn't even dawn on me what this was. I got all these ones out and there was a checkbook. And when I got back to the little room I had, um, I had bought some drugs with the money that I had stole and got a cab back to this place. And um I remember the check. When I reached in my pocket, I opened up the check, it said Alcoholics Anonymous on it. <laughs> and it was I mean, and it literally I dropped it on the floor and I tore it up as fast as I could because um I can't tell you what that did to me. And you know what the miracle of this is, how forgiveness is? Maybe this is God playing a trick on me. Because at the time, I'm sitting there and I stole the money. If this was somebody's house, it must have been the treasurer, what I came to feel later. And I paid this back now. I want you to know this. But they they must have been a treasurer of one of the AA groups up there. And um, I hate to think of how they had to go back to their group and you know, say somebody broke in my house and stole the money because, you know, they were like, yeah, sure. What, you know, you relapsed it and you stole our money. Um, But you know what? To think now, all these years later, that if it wasn't for that program, for the 12-step program, that I would not be here on the phone with you today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of instead of the God, as I understand God, looking at me and saying, you're not worthy. You're not, look what you've done. Look what you've done. You're not worthy of recovery. I'm just going to take your life. No. You know, he didn't. You know, it reached out and said, come on.
4: Yeah, when you look back at that's really a powerful story. It kind well, of. And, I, and I'm, I'm gonna... so
1: thankful. I can't tell you how. And now, all these years later, you know, being in recovery as I am, and, you know, I actually, I'll tell you this real quick. I had an opportunity. This just goes to show you how you take and you give. You know, I was taken back then. Well, we had an opportunity here. Uh, there's the Gateway World Went Through Treatment app. They built a, a woman's. Uh, resource center there for pregnant women to come with their children and have their children. And I had an opportunity to donate the roof uh, on it, uh, the building, and take my crew of men out there, and we installed the roof and did all this. And I'm telling you, man, what a wonderful, wonderful feeling that was to go back to that facility after I went in there homeless, literally with no shoes on my feet when I went back into treatment. They had to give me a pair of shoes out of the clothes closet to be able to go back and be a part of something like that There was just, I mean, it just shows me how powerful, um, you know, addiction is an extremely powerful tool that ruins and destroys life. But let me tell you something, recovery is an extremely powerful tool also that can do a lot of wonderful, powerful, helpful things in people's lives. It's just amazing how it can, how it can change so much.
4: It's really a story of amazing grace. And I, um... I can visualize you dropping that check, you know. And when you look back at it all these years, it was probably a way of God saying, I'm going to find you, you know. <laughs> Don't forget that I'm keeping my eye on you. know
1: what, you. My, I had to tell my wife this um, when we come out about, because now my, my mission in life is to go around, I sing and I speak and I share my story to people, trying to reach out. And And when I told my wife, uh, last year when we started to do this and cause she never, we've been together 17 years, but she never saw me using. And I told her, I said, God gave me a life. I said that I never deserved to have. I never even knew people live like we live. And I said, when God started putting this on my heart about trying to give back, I said, and, and tears started coming out of my eyes. I said, he's not asking me. You know, he's not asking me. Like you said a minute ago, he bought me from a place I shouldn't have ever come out of. I went past the point of no return, and God in His mercy, for whatever reason, He brought me out of that, but I had to realize, you know what, and God made me realize this, I didn't do this for you. I didn't do this to see how big a house you're going to live in, or how big a boat you can have, or any of these things. I did this so you can go back and tell these other people that you've been there, and try and warn them and show them another way that they don't have to go where you've been. Absolutely. Absolutely. Know?
4: We've been talking with Tim White about his book, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Tim the last 20 years and all the different things that you've been doing uh, in this new life you know, and the new road. We'll be right back.
5: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's Westbridge.org, family Center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders.
2: Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to Energy Medicine and Optimal Health. With your host, Dr. Ann Deatley, we'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. Kelly covers our relationship with food and teaches us how easy eating well and living well can be, taking us on a weekly food journey, guiding us to a more rich and vibrant life. So tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill.
4: Uh, again, this is John McAndrew, and we've been talking with Tim White. And before we go any further, Tim, I want to let folks know it's your website is timwhiteministries.com. And can folks get a hold of you there if they wanted you to come and speak or perform? Yeah,
1: they, they can. They can actually go to the website and send us a request. And actually, as we speak, the website's being revamped or redoing a new uh, I mean, it's up. They're redoing new things to it and all that. But, yeah, they, we can be reached through that.
4: Okay. And please, you know, go there, listeners, and check out his music. And um I have listened to it, and it's very, very good. And I, we should have had a little on the show, but we'll, uh, we'll have you back again, and we'll do some music. And, Tim, the book, At the End of the Road, One Man's Journey from Chaos to Clarity, uh, is by you and Kimberly Smith, and I know you wanted to talk a little bit about Kimberly.
1: You know, I did. That's a, that's been a wonderful uh, journey uh, with her and I. Also, my brother, because as, as I said earlier in the in the interview here, I went home when I was fifteen. I mean, I went to the eighth grade, um, so I'm really not educated that well, um, and so I obviously probably couldn't have wrote a book w- without someone's help. And my brother actually found her and. um and her and I met and we sat down and talked and uh I'll tell you something, man. There, there there again, I've had a lot of things in my life and I that I believe that there has been a, a an intervention in. And here's another time I believe God put her in my life. She was the perfect person to to write this book for me. She actually had uh some personal issues herself in addiction, not with her, but a loved one. And uh she's had some real miracles happen to her in her life since her and I have have got connected. I mean, we spent maybe six months together um, uh, writing this, and we've become real close. And I want to tell you, too, we actually just won a award last week. Um, we came in second in the state of Florida uh, for Memoir of the Year. Um, well, congratulations. It. Yeah, it was a fantastic. I mean, it just goes to show you what... A, I mean, it is a very good story. If I, it really is. Even when I read the story, it's hard for me to believe, and it was a story about me. But she did a very good job of telling the story as it happened in my, I mean, in the way I would have said it if I could have wrote it. And yeah, I was real real happy with her and the job she did for me.
4: Well, she did a good job. You both did a good job in telling your story. And so we we left off with you robbing the house, who happened to be the treasurer of the AA group. Um And I think... But, you know, I'd like the listeners to know a little bit more about you now the last 20 years because you've built a business, um, you've got your you know, ministries, you've really done a lot in your life with, you know, turning this pain into grace or whatever they say. Uh, so, let you know, what are you up to today and how did you get to... It says you're you know, a philanthropist one, and a businessman.
1: You know, one of the things that I often have to share with people, and I was 31 when I got clean, and I was homeless, penniless, friendless, jobless. I mean the whole gamut. I had burnt all the bridges. I had the only person who would even talk to me um, at that time was my mother. Uh, my dad wouldn't talk to me at all, and my half-brothers I mean very little, like I said, I had no one to really talk to. And when I went into the treatment the last time, um i had I felt no hope. but you know what really gave me hope is when they started taking us out to outside meetings, which I had been involved with early, years earlier. Um, in 1989 is when I first went through treatment and got stay clean for a while. And you know what? When they took us to these meetings, a lot of the same people were there that had been there four years earlier. And they had lives. They had lives going on. They had businesses and marriages and children, and they was laughing and talking about all these things that were going on in their life. And I'm standing back looking at wanting so bad, wanting so bad to have a life like that, and I had no clue how to get it. Not only did I not know how to not use, I didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to succeed. I didn't know how to make goals, you know, set a goal and how to attain it. I mean, I had just missed the boat on all that stuff. And there was a guy that had been my sponsor uh years earlier, and he was still around. And I went up to him. I'll never forget. His name was Jimmy C. He passed a, a while back, and I had an opportunity to speak at his memorial, actually, but I went to him and I said, Jimmy, I said, would you sponsor me again? And he said, yeah. And I said, Jimmy, I'll do anything you tell me to do. And I'm in it. I'm in it. I said, I'll do anything you tell me to do. And he told me he wanted to you know, call him every day, go to 90 meetings in 90 days, join a home group, all the things that you hear in recovery. I did them. I did them. And you know what? Slowly, one day at a time, um, my life started getting better. I got me a little apartment. Um, I remember sitting there and this is in the book too. I remember in my apartment. Now you got to figure I'm 31 years old. I got yeah. an electric bill and it was in my name and I sit there on the couch and I cried. Yeah. I mean, tears come because I had, I, I had never had an electric bill in my name. To me, that was a major stepping stone having that electric bill. And you know what? I had been in the roof. I had been a roofer, um, since I had been a kid. And you know what? One day at a time, I saw other people succeeding. I stayed clean. I stayed involved in my recovery. I started seeing businessmen that were successful, and I looked at them, and I said, I can do that. I said, I uh-huh. I, I, can, I felt I was smart enough. I'm, even though I wasn't educated, I figured I can do that. And, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of, and i tell you, I had an opportunity. I had to go before the governor of the state of Florida seven years. On my seven-year anniversary, it happened to fall, too, on that day, February 18th of 2000, I had to go before Governor Jeb Bush uh, in the in the, uh, the board in Tallahassee and ask for clemency so I could take the contractor's exam for the state of Florida.
4: Wow.
1: And yeah. you granted that, obviously. Isn't that amazing how I had to stand before him? And, you know, he looked down at me, the whole board, and this is all televised. I mean, it's a big deal when you go for clemency. And he looked down at me and he said, Mr. White, he said, you have had a troubled past. And I said, yes, sir. I sure have. I said, and everything you look in that folder, I did every bit of that. I'm guilty of everything you see there. I said, but I'm a new person. I said, I have been clean seven years today. And I, and, uh, and he asked me a few questions about where I went to treatment and all these things. And, and, um, he restored my rights. And, you know, when I got ready to walk off, this the secretary of state called me back to the, to the front and he said, I want this on the record. He said, he said, Mr. White, he said, you're an example. That recovery is possible in people's lives, and people can change. Wow! And I, was, I, I mean, I could have fell out on the floor. I was so overwhelmed with emotion that this sick guy, he used to sit at three o'clock in the morning and cry like a baby on the curb because I had nowhere to go, and I was sick. That I could be before these men, and he looked at me and say that. I mean, I mean, it's just amazing what the possibilities that can happen in a person's life if they just will will allow it to happen.
4: Well, a lot happened from sitting on the couch and looking at your first electric bill to sitting in front of the governor getting yes. clemency. So you took the exam and then you built your business. I assume, right?
1: Yes, I did. I, you know what? And I, I often I haven't ever had the opportunity, but I, I wish I could get an opportunity to thank him for that. And I, I think that the door will open for me to do that because it. He, there again, like Judge Walker did, she gave me an opportunity. Seven years later, Governor Bush gave me a chance. Now. 14 years after that, you know, we, we've had a very successful business due to a lot of commitment. Um, you know, i built some, you know, I've got a bunch of other stuff going on with with things also, but I've been very blessed, um, and, and I'll tell you what, it is a wonderful thing to be able to realize, and I think here again is God working for me in my life as He put me in a place to where the book, the music, everything I'm doing now coming out, sharing with people like you on the radio about my recovery. You know what? I am who I say I am. I did what I said I did because of people like me now. You know, I have one of my closest friends, a a lifelong friend of mine. He just got out of prison a month ago. He relapsed this weekend. Now, for years we've been corresponding, going to get back, you know, going to get clean, going to get in recovery. He didn't do it. He got out, and I guess he thought it was he was going to be different. Well, he's not different, and now he's back using again. For anyone who out there is listening, man, that might be at a point in their life um, where they were suffering like I was suffering, man, please take an opportunity. There's people out there like me that will reach out, and they will grab your hand, and they will say, follow me. Mm-hmm. I know how to do it. I've done it, and I'll show you how we did it. And um, that's the miracle, how recovery works. There was people there for me.
4: And you just have to ask for help, so.
1: You just have to have, first off, you have to understand you need it.
4: Yeah. You know, you have
1: to accept that you're not going to be able to change yourself. You can't do it. It won't work.
4: So, Tim, when the business started to build and you're successful, and I imagine that you have some freedom to do some things you were probably not able to do before, uh, when did the ministry then start to become something, because let's face it, you're not, and that's why I love this so much. You're not the typical preacher or minister. I You're know. Can, I get know, a lot of laughs out of that too.
1: Man, so, <laughs> did... and I'm not the typical guy to do that. But you know what? I think through um, through the 12 step program um, of me earnestly trying to do it as best I could, um, getting on my knees. I got in the treatment center, and it talks a lot of this about in the book, but. When I got in the treatment center and a guy had given me a prayer card and I went back to my room and I prayed off that card and I was scared to death. If there was a God, he didn't, he was pretty, pretty upset with me. But I continually started to do that and I I was slowly, it was a slow process, but I started trying to reach out to, 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 to God of my understanding. And over time that started growing. And then I wanted to, you know, I got involved in a church, um, a few, uh, now it's been about 12 years ago. I got involved in the church here and you know, one of the things that really opened the door for me is after I left Nashville and I lived up there singing in Nashville, I, uh, I quit singing for a while. I kind of got bummed out because I wanted to be a big country star and that didn't, <laughs> it didn't work out. So, uh, but you know, the pastor and I become friends. Now here, here, now this is pretty funny. The pastor of the church and I are pretty much best friends. Okay. So it's kind of weird too from where I've come from to now to be uh, friends with a preacher, but. I went to him one day and I said, you know, I said, I like to sing a little bit. I said, if you don't mind, I'd like to sing the church sometime. And they didn't know. And, uh, you know, I, the first time I ever got to sing at church, um, I've sang it all over the place in bars and stuff all over the place. And I, I went to this church and I sat down and I sang uh, Brooks and Dunn Believe. And I have never in my life felt as good as I felt singing that song in that church. And I looked out and i never forget there was this old man sitting in the front And tears were rolling down his eyes as I sang, as I sang that song, Leave. And I knew right then, I said, all these years I've sang out in the bars and the clubs and all this, this is what I was supposed to be singing all along. It's like God was getting me to a place. And now, um, I have an opportunity to, to to do it a lot. And it is a, it is really, and that's where the ministry kind of started coming out Mm -hmm. because, you know, not only do I have a story that I'm willing to share with people, Um, you know, we also have the songs that, that we, that we, you know, share with them also. So that's kind of how it's grown. And I tell you what, man, I've had an amazing feedback from people. When I go to these churches, I've always shared in prisons and jails and treatment centers. So to go into a church and share my story and have, I mean, women and I mean, people coming up crying about their loved ones that are suffering, man, there's so many people that's not in recovery. See, we don't see them because they don't get there. Yeah. So We've been talking open, with
4: Tim open. White, and Tim, when we come back. Um, and, and again, we want to thank you for sharing your story. When we come back, I think we'll talk a little bit. You wanted to talk about how to safeguard your recovery and, and addictions through the holidays. So when we come back, we're going to continue with Tim White.
5: Common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's Westbridge.org, family centered recovery for co occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders.
0: You read about it in health news every day.
1: Cancer rates are going up. Obesity in the U.S. is on the rise. Heart disease and diabetes are top killers every year.
0: We can follow the advice of our doctor, but cravings persist. Weight goes up and energy is still down. It doesn't have to be like this. Tune in for Body Balance Talk with Lucy Hewitt and her guest experts. You'll learn how you can work with your body to feel better and look better, too. Body Balance Talk airs live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Helping you make informed decisions for your life.
4: We're back, and we've been talking with Tim White. And thanks everyone for hanging in. It's been really a powerful story today. Uh, Tim has told us about his his journey from chaos to clarity. His book is called At the End of the Road. And uh, we've uh, learned about all the angels in his life: Judge White and the Governor of Florida, and Jimmy C and Gateway, and lots of stuff in Florida. And before we go any farther, I want to remind everybody: it's Tim White ministries.com, and folks can contact you directly there. Is that right, Tim?
1: Yeah, they can contact the website, sure.
4: Okay. And we talked about, we'll just kind of continue with uh, looking at your electric bill, and you ne- had never had, you were 31, I think, I'm close to Yes. It, your first electric bill with your name on it, and then you started to, to build your business. And you had to get a certain licensure through the state of Florida, so Jeb Bush grants you clemency. And, uh, you're probably being a little humble, but I imagine it was a very powerful moment in that court. Uh, and so you've grown your business, and now you're, you have a ministry, you tell your story, and through your experience, uh, you've learned a few things about the holidays, and I know you have some things you've written and talked about about safeguarding one's recovery through the holidays and uh why don't you tell
1: us a little bit more about that all right you know it it is a very difficult time and it's a a wonderful time and a difficult time i I myself in 1989 when i went through recovery i'd stay clean six months and i relapsed on christmas eve i uh i relapsed on christmas Mm -hmm. eve but you know I know a lot of people, and like I said, I can only use my own experience with this, but we we estrange ourselves from our family, which, you know, the holidays a lot of time are family time, and I know i had estranged myself, and I know some of us don't have families um, to even spend them with. Maybe we've lost them or whatever, but the most important thing, the most critical thing is that you have a strong network in your recovery base. Um, be it in, you know, with, with sponsorship or your, your uh, other members that you're in recovery with, that you will have a strong foundation with them. And I'll tell you something, with me, um, after I got clean, I wanted to have that family unit back, and I went to great lengths to start going back to my family functions, um, the Christmas function that they would have, and, and even though it was uncomfortable for me. Um, and they didn't accept me really. I mean, they accepted me, but they was all kind of really standoff. At first, because they were scared of me. I mean, literally scared of me. But I wanted it. I wanted it. And i tell you what, I had a wonderful time. Uh, my, my mother passed a few years ago, and I got to spend 14 years with my mother in recovery and spent every Christmas with her and my siblings and other family members um, and had some wonderful times together. Now I have these wonderful memories. So, you know, one of the things I would say is give it an opportunity um Give it. The, if, you, if you spend them like I have in a lot of misery during the holidays, allow that to change. Recovery is about a positive, joyful thing. And if you have to go to parties, if a person, you know, because of their job or their business or whatever, and you feel uncomfortable about it, but if it's a situation where you just kind of have to go, ask another recovering person to go with you. Don't put yourself in a situation that you could make a bad choice. And, uh, you know, like, like I said about the um the most important, you have to be vigilant. You have to be careful. Your recovery is a precious thing, um, especially if you're early in recovery. I suggest you get to some meetings, you know, every day if you can um, during during the holiday season because there's always a lot of people that need support if you're in recovery. Don't do it alone. I can tell you that. Whatever you do, don't try and just, uh, as the, the saying goes, white knuckle it and think that you can just get through it because not only you probably won't, it's not necessary. Right. You know, there's a lot of other people, you know, that are going through the same thing. So you get together and you talk about it and you work through it. And I don't know now. I look forward to it. I mean, we have a wonderful time at Christmas. My wife is real big into the decorating and the whole, mm-hmm. you know, I have three kids. So we, we, it's a really enjoyable time for us.
4: You have here, um, you know, uh, you mentioned stay close to the program, work some extra meetings into your schedule if you need to. Except that the first few holidays on the road to recovery may not be joyful because, uh, you know, you've, you've shared that several of them were pretty sad and not, not so. And you have written here, realize that we are all powerless over the past. What does that mean?
1: That, that is a wonderful saying, I think, because I think for me, I actually sang a song yesterday that really fits into that. It's called Redeemed by Big Daddy Weave. I had an opportunity to sing that at church yesterday, and that talks a lot about us living in the past, you know, constantly feeling the need to rehash. Um, if I did that, I would never have been able to go forward, you know, and I think a lot of people in early recovery um, at the holidays, they start thinking about maybe they have children that they they feel they abandoned in the previous years or the family or maybe their mother has passed before, father passed before they got clean. And they didn't have the opportunity to spend them holidays with them. Well, you know what? You can't do that. The past is the past. You have to, you know, the only way I was able to go forward in my life at all was to sit with a sponsor. Now, I didn't do this alone. I sat with a sponsor. I worked the steps. And I looked at my past. I accepted it for what it was. I accepted the responsibility for what my actions were. But I, what, what I didn't want to do was make my future my past. I didn't want to repeat it. So I had to get past it. I had to forgive myself, and it wasn't, didn't happen overnight, but I had to forgive myself. And um, and one of the best ways I did that was reaching out and helping other people. Sure. You know, there's a, no matter where you're at, um, there's people that are in worse situations than you are. And, and you so have your put way down to feel judgment. better about I what's think, going on is to reach out.
4: Yeah, this is really a, a good one. Self-judgment over the holiday season is a big issue. You know, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? You know, never but, be no, good
1: enough. we're none. We're none good enough. So we'll get past that part. <laughs> yeah, we're all failing. I fail every day. You know, I do. You know, I'm just trying to do the best I can with what I have in front of me and reaching out and trying to touch other lives like today and doing this here. It's my hope that someone out there that might be listening to this will say, you know what? I don't have to make my past my future. Tomorrow doesn't have to be your yesterday.
4: Yeah. And the last one, I think this is a good one, and I've heard people talk so much about this. Feel the joy of what you have and what you've been given, which is practicing gratitude. How does a person practice gratitude, well, I guess any day, but during the holidays
1: in particular? You know, when I first, my first holiday, and we actually laugh about it now, I used to have a little Christmas tree that was like five inches tall, a little tiny one that I'd sit down on the counter and um my, who my wife now became a girlfriend, well, she made me go get a Christmas tree, and we got a Christmas tree, and I'd never had a Christmas tree of my own like that, and we had a little apartment, and I decorated it, and we put all these lights and stuff on it, and it was really a lot of fun and Then, at the end of the holiday after the Christmas passed, when well, she came over and the tree was gone, and she said, well, "What happened to the tree?" I said, "Well, I threw it in the garbage she said what well, what'd you do with all the lights and all that stuff? I said, well I threw him in the garbage with it. What are you you supposed to do? And then we had a a very, just to see just a moment. I didn't know I grabbed the whole tree and threw the whole thing in the dumpster. I didn't know you were supposed to save all that stuff.
4: Well, I bet you we've been talking with Tim White and uh, we want to thank you very much for sharing your story with us. And I bet you have a bigger Christmas tree now. And again, at the end of the road, One Man's Journey from Chaos to Clarity is the book by Tim White it's available through Tim White Ministries, and uh, also check out his CDs. Uh, contact him on his website if you have any questions, if you're having trouble. Uh, and again, Tim, all of us from Westbridge and one hour at a time really want to thank you for inspiring all of us today.
1: Well, I uh, thank you so much for having me, man. for anyone who's listening out there, uh, give yourself an opportunity. Man, life can be a wonderful thing.
4: Alrighty. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye bye.